What's up, Chris? We meet again. I love I love chatting to you about marketing. You are definitely disrupting people's thoughts on LinkedIn. Everybody's talking about you, but I want to give a background about you. How did you get started, and how did you grow Refine Labs to where it is today? So, quick background: I studied engineering in college. What engineering allowed me to do is understand how to challenge assumptions, run experiments, and look at things at a system level. I think it gives me a huge advantage as a marketer because I see how parts of a system impact others that other, I, I think most people don't look for and don't notice. The next five years of my career were really focused on product marketing, product management, going out, understanding customers, figuring out how to position products, building brands, running product roadmaps, building business cases to figure out what products we're going to build in the future. So that was great experience. At the same time as that, I built several e-commerce companies from my bedroom, one that grew to about 500K, another one that grew to somewhere in that range as well which is where I really started to learn how to do marketing to drive revenue. Because when you are starting an e-commerce company with no brand, no organic demand, in order to get sales, your marketing has to work. And so in that situation, I was running Amazon ads, I was running Instagram ads, I was building an Instagram organic profile, and I learned a lot of the skills that I now use in B2B principles. An example of that, for instance, is there was one time where I, I was bidding on Amazon search ads and I bid on some term and then the next day I went in there and I'd spent a thousand dollars and gotten no sales. And the reason is because it was a low intent term. People didn't have intent to buy that thing. And so what, and it was too wide. And so what happened is when you spend a thousand dollars and you don't get any sales when it's your own money, it feels way different than when you take your company's money and spend a thousand dollars and then you don't get any sales. And so I got to learn and respect and I treat our, our advertising dollars of our customers in the same way. Now I wanted to generate a positive ROI and I don't make those types of mistakes. And then following that, I worked at a venture funded company where I built the, I think the nuts and bolts of the marketing model that we use today. And the reason that I was able to build that is because the company didn't put up all the marketing constraints that most SaaS companies have about attribution, obsession with leading metrics, et cetera. All I had to do was drive revenue that came through our website. And so when you do that, you don't have to worry about attribution. You can do a lot more creative things and you can do way better marketing. And so I got to learn how to do those things like a video podcast running ungated content, running Facebook ads that weren't direct response, sending emails, not looking even for people to click, just for people to consume a lot of things that marketers would never try because their metrics forced them into a different position. And then I looked out in the world after that company IPO'd and I realized, wow, what the things that I learned and the things that I do for marketing, most marketers would never look for, would never try to do because they're stuck in this little box about how to measure and do marketing. And so I started Refine Labs with the hopes of basically transforming how companies, B2B companies think about and execute marketing. It's a lofty goal. I think that we're making progress on it. And so transforming how companies think about and execute marketing. Uh, when I was initially building, the first channel that we built on was LinkedIn. At the same time, people that were CEOs or advisors or things like that told me that I should go out and build a sales team, that we would never grow my company by posting on LinkedIn. Now look where we are now, two and a half years later. And like, so I knew that to be true because I had done that for the past 10 years. A lot of people don't know the opportunities or the, the upside of marketing because they've never experienced it before. The upside's incredible. It's amazing. You can't replicate it in any other way when you really hit marketing right. And so LinkedIn was working. And then I basically just take all of the advice that I wish all of my customers would do. I take all of the, I do all of the things to try and model the behaviors of what I think that every company should be doing. I think that every company should be, have a podcast and that every company should execute the podcast 
at the same frequency and cadence that I do. I think that it, the content and the topic should be relevant. I think the host should be a subject matter expert that's an executive at your company. I think that you should chop that up and then move, put it onto LinkedIn. I think that you should host weekly events, not looking to collect leads, but to really help people, whether or not they're your customers. And so I started to just do the things that I think a lot of companies should think about adopting, which has been able to allow us to acquire logos and com enterprise companies that would never have worked with us if we went outbound sales or SEO or other mediums, allow us to attract and hire and retain incredible talent that's just super talented, mission-driven about the things that we're trying to accomplish, like truly A players, have been able to retain and continue to grow our presence into a, a marketing machine that consistently delivers more and more revenue at very, very low CAC every single quarter. And so those are some of the things that, uh, I guess you asked for a quick backstory. That was, that was long-winded, but there you go. That's how we got here. No, I mean, it's good backstory because it goes into what we want to, what I want to talk to you about is like how, when, and how did you figure out like this topic of dark social media, like dark social, like, cause if you, if you look at things as a machine that some people, they're probably looking at the machine the wrong way, but mm -hmm. if you look at the machine and cause it's marking attribution is broken. It's, Oh, these inputs create these outputs, and the inputs are the, the inputs are kind of wrong because the, the way marketing attribution is tracking it. So, mm -hmm. I wonder how you felt to that. Was it like gut feeling at first, or was it like how did you figure out that dark social was something to invest? In? Yeah, totally. So, first off, for the people that don't know, let me define dark social real quick. Dark social is essentially the scale of the internet has created a ton of word of mouth channels, both in micro one to one and serious one to many where people can communicate their thoughts, interact with peers, et cetera, and none of it gets tracked by attribution software or and none of it generates intent data because the platforms that it happened on have privacy policies that would restrict them from giving that data to your attribution software or creating intent data out of it. Those places could be, for example, social networks like LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera, content platforms like YouTube or Apple Podcasts or otherwise, communities like Peak Community, Revenue Collective, a bunch of the other specialized communities and groups that exist. Third-party meetups, like you meet up with your VC or PE firm, CMOs every every month, or you meet up with, uh, if you're you know a woman CMO, maybe you have a women CMO group that you meet up with every once in a while and you share ideas. None of that stuff's getting tracked. Direct word of mouth, Zoom calls, text messages, DMs, phone calls, all these things. So and my belief is that all the things that I just listed are the most important parts of a modern B2B buying journey and none of it gets tracked by attribution software. And so because companies can't track it, they literally just don't think about it and they don't do it. So they focus on all of these things that are easily measured that don't actually drive results. And so, and then when they, when they, when they see that and they don't look that they see a bunch of revenue coming through organic search or direct traffic. And they're like, let's just keep doing more SEO not understanding that what actually drove someone to go to search and then buy from you was a referral or they saw a billboard or they were in a community and someone talked about your category. And those are the touch points that matter. So there's a, there's a quick definition of dark social. Now let's talk about how I figured it out. There was two core instances where I figured this out. So one, I was in probably like 2015, I was running e-commerce. I was trying to grow my e-commerce company and I was running Instagram ads on specifically on Saturday mornings, I would run these ads. I had a lot of time. It was a place where we 
were getting e-commerce sales during that time. I would post organically. I would run ads at the same time and kind of, I had my system. And what would happen is that I would run the ads and I would watch Google analytics and I would see people clicking off the ads and then going in there. And then some people were adding to cart and then we didn't get any sales. And at the same time, there were people showing up on our website through organic search that would go through and convert. And then I would turn off the ads and that would stop happening. And so I could see like, because the system was simple that you can see, okay, like I pull this lever and then this thing happens. Like what's going on here. It's super simple. People are seeing the ads on mobile on Instagram. Cause that's, it's a mobile platform. Checking out on mobile is it sucks. You know what I mean? It's like some companies are trying to solve it, but it's not something that I'm, I'm not going to go through and type in all my information and my shipping address and my credit card for that. So they would leave their phone and they would go back to Google on a different device that doesn't have cookies dropped and they would convert. And so there's dark social for you impression or something in an ad channel, not getting properly attributed. And then it gets improperly tracked into organic search. So that was one instance where I saw it. The second one was super fascinating is that in 2017, 18 Facebook ads to physicians was like, was the move. We were spending $50,000 a month putting content, advertisements, videos, thought leadership through Facebook and Instagram, but mainly Facebook at this time. And what I noticed is that I would post the, I would run the ad. And then at that point it's different on Facebook now, but at that point we would get 50 comments from emergency medicine director at this hospital, like all of our decision makers, respiratory director at this hospital comments of what they're saying. I would go back and forth with them. Hey, like, I don't understand this. I would say, Hey, that's okay. And then I sent them a blog that would explain it. And they said, okay, this was cool. And then they would get on the next thing. And then I looked and I was like, wow, I just had, it's been, it's been two days. I just had 75 conversations with our ideal target customer and none of it was getting tracked zero. And so to the company, the company would, if the company looked at it and looked at the data, they would think that the SDR resource that had tracked phone calls, regardless of the outcomes was better because the activity that was happening in social wasn't being measured. And so those are a couple of examples. Now I think that I have a much more clear way of explaining it because it's really happening now and it's really obvious. And so, yeah, those are a couple of instances. And then the thing that made it like kind of, I've always thought this, but the nail in the coffin for everyone should be that date. We we're going to put out a study soon, but I've communicated the data before we put, how did you hear about us on our main form where 95% of our revenue comes from? And we just asked people how they heard about us. And then we compared what the buyer said versus what the attribution software said. And for close one deals at the moment, 0% of the time attribution software matches what the customer said for qualified opportunities, 7% of the time attribution software matches what the customer said. So I'm going to tell you a couple of examples. What the customer says is I heard about you in revenue collective from Kyle Lacey. And that, that's what, how did you hear about us said? And then attribution software says direct traffic. And then another one might be Gatano Donardi. I was a friend with Gatano Donardi. So I started listening to your podcast when he was doing it. And then I, you know, changed jobs and then he recommended this. And then I came here and then attribution software says organic search. And so marketers, most of them, and that happened hundreds of times over. So marketers are over here looking at the attribution software and all they see is organic search and all they see is direct traffic. And they're missing out on the stuff that actually matters, which would one help them 
demonstrate how effective the real marketing channels that are working could be for them to help show executives what's happening. It's very easy when you go back and say, hey, the VP of Amex said that they heard about us on Instagram. Maybe we should keep investing in Instagram ads or maybe we should, you know what I mean? So that you get kind of like, you get that little touch that marketers aren't getting right now that would help for podcast, word of mouth, community, all the things that aren't being tracked properly. The second piece is it gives you massive strategy insights. Right now, most companies have attribution software, but they're really flying blind. And so that's the the clear cut kind of like the full progression. And I did the how did you hear about us recently? Not because not because I didn't know the answers. I knew all this stuff was happening. People tell me, right? People tell me they share my posts in Slack. People tell me they find me on LinkedIn, et cetera. I collected the data so that I can show people the things that I've already known to be true for the past five years so that they can then go and do this themselves and they can see it for themselves. A question I have for you is like, before like everybody decided to become a data-driven marketer, like back in the day that marketers did not have attribution software and they were running top of funnel things and branding and stuff like that. And that's how they grew their business. And they less worried about like, they just had that gut feeling and knowing like, okay, if I send out, if I put this billboard up, it's going to lead to something like, cause that's the only channels that they had back in the day. Mm -hmm. So my question is you is like, how do you think like data has like affected like marketing? Because I think there's like two sides of it. It's like, well, you need data to, to like get inputs and outputs, but also like there's like incorrect data that's going in that's making terrible marketing decisions mm-hmm. that weren't weren't made like they probably were made in back in the day, but it's still like Coca-Cola is still growing, but they they relied a bit on brand back mm-hmm. in the day. All these big companies that are growing that did the branding stuff back in the day are still here because mm-hmm. they did brand and everybody remembers who they are. There's nothing wrong with the data. Mm-hmm. The data is fine. If you want to use software to collect it, that's fine. It's how the data is being used. And so, and how the data is being used right now is that it's the only answer. The technology and the software is the only answer for what's happening. It's the only thing that executives trust. It's driven through how technology vendors have positioned this to executives like they need it and they should drive all their decisions off of it. And so then what they do is they take software-based attribution data that is totally flawed. They think that it's right. And then they go and make 100% decisions off of that instead of what your customers tell you, right? And so we need to have a place, and that's that's what I do as a marketer. I blend them together. I'm looking at a lot of different data points and I'm making decisions, but the number one thing is what customers tell me, not what software reads. And so what I've suggested to people is really think about this in two places to to let your marketers properly handle and and win in dark social, you need a different measurement mechanism for that. And so what I'm suggesting for people is that they have a, basically what they have right now, multi-touch attribution software that's going to cover basically where people convert on easily trackable channels. And I think the best use case for that is you get a surrogate for intent and you get some level of a, of a length of time in someone's buyer journey. And so those data points are helpful, right? I want to know whether that person came through a LinkedIn ad and asked, signed up for our newsletter and then we cold called them or whether they uh, found us through organic search, left, came back six months later and asked for a demo. That's good information to have, but it's not the whole story. And then what I want to have is I want to have qualitative insights at the top about what's actually happening in the journey. And that's going to be accomplished through the how did you hear about us field, through win analysis with customers, 
through interpreting recorded first calls and having your sales team ask people how they heard about you, through running surveys about what your decision makers at the target accounts that you're going after, where they consume information to learn, where they discover things. where And so those four things put together need to have significantly more weight in a marketing like mixed modeling than they do right now, which at the moment is like close to zero. And so how do you think about putting together your marketing mix without having any involvement from your customers? Look at software and that's what, because of the way that companies use software-based attribution, they only spend time in a couple of places and it pushes them all the way back to just SEO and paid search. That's where most companies spend a majority of their time and money right now. And it's, it's a complete facade. It's really what I think one thing that I, that I got from you is like, that's really helped your journey is like taking that e-commerce mindset and putting it in B2B because a, a person's still a person, whether they're in B2B or B2C and they, they buy pretty much the, the same way, maybe like the, the, the distribution networks are different, mm -hmm. but they like when I go and purchase like a new, like a new clothes, like, like say Lululemon, I probably saw someone wearing Lululemon. That's my friend or someone said Lululemon's dope, or I saw a review of Lululemon or I saw their store or I saw, but if I clicked on an ad and bought on it, they probably would say, Oh goodness, paid social did that for you. But it's like, no, 10 people mm -hmm. told me that like Lululemon's dope. I just saw a cool ad now that converted me, but like, that's not going to be tracked those 15 touches that I saw before that mm -hmm. I saw an influencer wearing Lululemon and I'm like, Oh, that's a sick Lululemon shirt, but I didn't want to buy it at that time. Yeah. So there's two, there's two things I think that are really interesting about this e-commerce example is that one in e-com, there's no sales team. Your marketing needs to sell stuff. You should have that approach in B2B too. Even if you do have a sales team, your job as a marketer is to get someone to the place where they are basically done buying. It's a super interesting concept. The second one is that when you have an e-commerce company that's doing zero revenue and you have zero organic market demand, this stuff actually has to work, right? And so if you're a B2B marketer and you go and drop in and you start doing, you start running marketing at Salesforce, you're going to think that you're a lot better than you are because there's a huge market demand for Salesforce. You could do nothing right and you would still, your marketing would still work, would still, based on the reports that you generate, it would look like it still worked. That's not gonna fly when you got no customers and, and like maybe barely a website. And so it forces, you, you get positive signals when, when customers respond to it and the outcome is sales, right? And so when you're posting organically on Instagram and you're building a community and then 45 days later, I've been commenting on people's posts and then eventually someone comes back and I see their name in the order. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I've been commenting on their posts for the past 40 days and they've been liking our posts. And so it's going back to like using common sense. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, it's, it's true though. Cause like one thing that I, that you do very well and B2B companies should follow is like when you're posting on these organic channels or you'd never really ever talk about refine labs maybe you'll drop examples of like customers but you never like pitch anything like and that's a bad part about like a lot of b2b social media profiles and stuff like that and that's how i kind of grew the marketing millennials page was 
I never once sell anything. Like I'm just mm-hmm. providing good content for people to consume. It's like, the only way. But the funny thing is like B2B companies, like if you look at 99% of B2B mm-hmm. social media profiles, it's webinar links. Look at my employees. Look at me. Look mm-hmm. how cool I am. It's never like, just raise money. how can I help mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, it's funny to me because I think like, and that's why I don't get like why social media managers and like good social media people are like some of the most underpaid people in the industry because mm-hmm. they are like some of the what you've done with social media. If someone replicated and you need someone smart to do it, like you can't just have like an intern out of college do mm-hmm. it like it would produce so much result. So that's why I, like I keep like hounding and I think you do this well and I, I would love to know like like tell people a little bit about your strategy on like how you approach like these organic channels on like how are you driving that demand without even saying anything mm-hmm. like about your brand, really about your brand. Totally. Yeah. The reason there's a couple of core reasons why B2B companies fail at organic social. And so number one is that the executive team literally just thinks that people don't hang out there. Like when I say that the people listening to this podcast will think that I'm crazy, but there's a large amount of B2B executives that think that B2B buyers don't use Facebook. It's fucking hilarious, right? <laughs> so executives just are completely lost in the way that people act today. They got the wrong goals, right? So the wrong goals could be, I need to be able to measure this channel with attribution. So it's only going to be links and it's only going to be DR and it's only going to be stuff like that, which nobody wants. People want to consume stuff in the feed. And the third part is that they don't put the right talent on those projects in order for it to be successful in order for like, in order for you to be a social media marketer and you're going to go and do this for CISOs, you got to have a, a, like a pretty decent understanding of customers and CISOs. And you got to understand deeply what those people care about in order to create any content that they want. Right. So especially in social, like people think a lot about social as the distribution side but you need to put, figure out what you're putting in there too and why people are going to like it. And so it's like understanding the audience, understanding what con- orchestrating the content, then figuring out how to distribute it and then using the data that you're getting back and comments and things like that to go out and do it in an agile way. It's, it's funny you said that because like I always tell people like if you ask me to go replicate my social media for an audience i have no idea about i probably couldn't do it because Mm -hmm. like i don't have any industry expert like i can i'll come off like i'm bsing and i don't know the topic Mm -hmm. and that's also a problem and i you talk about this a lot but like and you do this in your company but you hire industry experts into your company that know the audience or who were the audience Mm -hmm. like like stop being like taking a market content marketer. If a content marketer is a good journalist, yeah. maybe they'll be really good. But if you hire a plumber who's a good like good, good content marketing too, mm-hmm. and you're talking to plumbers, like they will do better than someone who not, has never a plumber in their whole entire life. Totally, yeah. So figuring out someone that already create that is your customer or your customers listen to, and then getting them into your, and ideally they've already demonstrated that they know how to build an audience and push out content and people like them, then bringing them into your company is a great idea on the marketing team. Most people don't think about this, but like having someone that has been your customer before 
on your marketing team is wild. Insights, content, like product marketing, feedback, connections, introductions, credibility, like all of these things that a lot of marketing teams never have because there's no knock on like a marketing manager, but marketing managers going out and trying to market to CISOs with no credibility. So you did ask a question. I think it was just about break down the social strategy. Could you repeat that? And then I'll yeah, yeah. I wanted you to kind of break down how you think about like, or like mm, the without, channels. yeah, without talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, what we're doing on LinkedIn is what I would consider category marketing. So there is a, there's a big change happening to marketing right now, the way that B2B buyers buy, the way that attribution is, is making companies drive the wrong decisions, the way that people are way over aligned on tech and they need to go out and talk to customers. There's a lot of things that are happening and there's a groundswell where marketers are going to go in. Some marketers are going to go in one direction and a lot of marketers are going to go in another direction. And we're helping people try and decide what direction they want to be in. And so that's the marketing that I'm putting out. I'm helping people understand what's happening is the reality of the world. And because we look at this so uniquely, I don't think that we have a single competitor. And if you are, if you are creating a category or things like that, you take the same mindset. I don't think at all about other agencies, what they're pricing, like we're not that. And so that's the way that I think about it. Companies that align with our views, I know that somebody's not going to be able to listen to our, like some other companies not going to be able to listen to our podcast and then create a competitive offering around it. They're not going to be able to catch up. We're moving way too fast. There's too much intellectual property. And so we're marketing the category. And when you market the category and you help people do things, another core principle, and I think one that most people miss here is that a lot of the people that I'm marketing to would never be our customer, but they amplify the content. They tell other people, they know a bunch of people that could be our customer. They take our, they go and take our advice and go and implement it and get way better results and then share about it. And so that's another one is like understanding who you're marketing to and why. And then the last one is that we give away our best advice with complete transparency and tactical tips. People can go out and look and basically if they listened hard enough to what I'm saying, they could replicate our paid social strategy exactly. And the thing that I know is that a lot of people, plenty of VPs of demand and CMOs and marketing managers come up to me at a conference or otherwise and say, hey, Chris, I love your stuff. I, I share it with my team every day. It's so great. We're implementing it. And then when you look under the hood, they're not doing any of it. They're running lead gen <laughs> and like cookie cutter ABM. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I talked to Devin Reed from Gong and he kind of told me three things that like you should do as content marketing, which you're doing in categories is one, like say something insightful, like someone like raises their eyebrow or like doesn't know like, oh, like that's interesting. I never thought about that some that way say something actionable like they can take your tip like if you the things you're telling me right now they probably can go take it and try implement it in themselves and the last thing is like relatable like mm -hmm. problems that people are having and you do all the things you like you talk about like the SEM brand problem which mm -hmm. like everybody's spending way overspending on SEM brand you give actual insights on how things are like what to do like to implement it and then you say things that are take a stand for things that are not and people are like oh i never thought about that that way and those are like the three key like 
think to create good content on social mm-hmm. media, it has to do that in B2B to be good content. Yeah. And, and the funny thing that I continue to learn and get more data around is that most people know what I'm saying is true, but I'm in a position where I can actually talk about it and I can actually say it. Right. And so a lot of people given like what vendors they're part of their partner program or who their partners with or who their VCs are, who, what company they work at, whatever reason they have restrictions that they can't voice these truths. And so I'm just kind of helping people. Like I would, I get hundreds of messages that say you, you say all the things that I either haven't been able to put into words, but have been seen for five years, or you say the things that I can't say because my boss would see it and fire me or something like that. Yeah, and one thing that I I think that you that you're saying well is like like the people who are not getting the social dark social thing I don't think are even like spending enough time on social media. Like if you're an executive at a company, you should be spending time on any new platform just to understand why it's there, why people are on it, why mm-hmm. people do things like at least once it's hit some scale right so we don't yeah. need like the ceos going around with like an app that has thirty thousand users but once it hits some scale you got to be on there and involved the the coolest thing about linkedin ever is that when i position it to a ceo or a subject matter expert in a different way they think about it differently which is it imagine if you are the keynote speaker at a at the most popular conference in your industry and you get to be a keynote, you get to do a keynote every day at 9am and you can do it through a a video. You can do it through a audio. You could go live, you can write text and you get an opportunity to do that every day with your target market. So it's just like framing it different. That's really what it is. It's just framing it differently, Mm -hmm. but because of the way that they grew up or the way that they think or the things that they've already accepted from a marketing standpoint, they think that, going and speaking at the conference in front of a hundred people is way cooler and way more effective and way better than doing, putting the exact same content in LinkedIn when 10,000 people see it. LinkedIn's mm-hmm. actually better because it has more scale. It has more reach. It has more shareability and you can do it all the time. What I, what I like one, I, I heard something you said probably like, I don't know, two months ago, but it, I like, I want you to kind of dive into it is like, the same like the argument between like like this owned versus like rented property like and like because i i totally believe like you have like emails like die die off all the time like it's Mm -hmm. just like social media audience like you're gonna lose some social media audiences you're gonna lose some bad emails so like um, yeah, I wonder you go into this topic a little bit because i thought it was super interesting yeah facebook went down last week this is what people are saying. Good reminder that you should always be building your email list. And then when I said back to some people the week before that HubSpot, HubSpot CMS went down. Should we start building our own CMS because HubSpot went down for a couple of hours? Remember that time in like 2016 when AWS went down and the whole internet crashed? Should we start buying our own servers because AWS went down for 35 minutes? That's the that's the argument that people are making right now, which makes t- absolutely no sense. And so you're not renting an audience when you're on social. You you have the audience. People that tell you that you need to collect the emails are the people that are selling you ClickFunnels software to help you collect emails and push them through that. The value of what you get when you use any of these channels is the the value that you derive when those people are paying attention to you. 
So you're going to have attrition on your email list. You're going to have lower deliverability. Soon enough, you're going to have lower tracking on emails, which I love. And then eventually, some of the social platforms will have lower tracking and the reach will go down, et cetera. But it's about the value that you get while people are listening to you. And if you do that well, it doesn't matter. And so the example that I give is that it doesn't matter what the reach of the podcast is for me. People come and seek it out. People log in, people tell me that they log into LinkedIn at 8.55 to see my 9 a.m. post. You create content that's good enough, people are gonna come and find it. And so because people that don't create content that's good enough, they have to look at, I need to own my list because people don't listen to me anywhere else. And so I at least wanna be able to, to prove that I got a delivered email and that someone opened it. What matters is the outcome. And so that's my quick take back at that. And then if you think about, think about this for all the people listening that know who I am or know who Daniel is, how many of you would know me if my main marketing strategy was about email instead of LinkedIn? Nobody, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. You wouldn't know who I am. You wouldn't know who my company is. And that's just the truth because people don't pay as much attention to email anymore. It's a flooded channel. The shareability is super low. There's no reach. Nobody's forwarding your email 10 times over. Forward to Dan, Dan forwards it to Chris, Chris forwards it to here. That doesn't happen in email very often, almost never. But it happened on LinkedIn in 2019, which allowed me to get, get exposed to millions of people every week. So while you continue to send your emails to your 5,000 person email list, I'm having millions of impressions on LinkedIn. And yeah, and the, the the point you're saying right now too is like, when last has, have have you seen a, a screenshot of an email in your community? Unless it was like a good example of like a good email a company was sending, almost never, never. Like, yeah, of actionable insights. I've never seen. Probably the last time I saw it was like six years ago. A screenshot of an email mm -hmm. sent to me that was like cool or forwarded to me. Like I get probably one email forwarded to me a week. I probably get. 100 shared posts sent to mm -hmm. me a week. Same thing goes for SEO. Imagine if our main marketing strategy at Refine Labs and for Chris Walker was an SEO strategy. And all I did was write blogs and hope that you searched and found them. You wouldn't know who I am. You would have never made that search. You would have never found me. And so like, you need to be marketing in the places where people pay attention now, not what they were doing 10 years ago, not what they were doing five years ago, not what they were doing last year, what they're doing now. And what they do right now is that they hang out in communities, they spend time on social networks, and they're starving for content and content platforms like YouTube, podcast, and otherwise. And so it's like, why wouldn't you focus most of your marketing there? You know, what's also something I want to pick your brain over because I've been noticing this lately is like, I never, ever Google things for content anymore because never. they're just so basic. And never. So, That's I never the get thing. This is the effect that people don't understand. If you ha in search seven years ago because I didn't, I wasn't connected with you, Daniel. We didn't have the communities and the social networks and B2B marketers didn't, and any other function, right? B2B professionals did not have places where they can go and consult their peers and make those connections. So seven years ago when they had a question, the only option was word of mouth to whoever I know or go to Google, which is why Google was so popular. And now instead of going to Google to f figure out which tool should I use for this or how should I solve this problem, I'm gonna go into peak community and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna get 20 answers from people that I trust. Or I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pick out three people that I know are experts and I'm gonna send them DMs on LinkedIn or text messages. 
or I'm going to go some, you know what I mean? And so I'm still making the search. It's just not happening in a search engine. I'm getting the information somewhere else. Yeah, it's because for me, like, I trust, the, I, I trust the sources yeah, more. Ex- exactly. And people, now you're trusting like people over engines. Like, mm-hmm. um, and even like the right. engines you trust, like, say you go search for a restaurant on Yelp, like, you know, it's people curating that review or like G2 crowd. And that's why they're becoming a little bit better at those yeah. sites because those are curated people inside, not company inside. And it's, it's not because people trust blogs less. It's because they have access to peers they trust more. Get it? They didn't have the access to the peers five years ago, so they went to Google because it was the most trustworthy source that they knew. Now this new source comes around. I can go into all these communities and ask people that, I, that do my job, that don't, aren't biased at all, that are going to give me honest advice, and I'm going to go there instead because I trust them more. It's so fascinating. Yeah, and I think one thing that I, before we're almost wrapping up, but I wanted to dive into is like you talked about the machine at the beginning, and I think the main part of the machine that people think less of is like the distribution part of the machine and how the distribution part of the machine is not is aligned to what buyers are doing, not what every other marketer is doing or what every other person's doing out there. Like it's weird as I continue to think more about it. I think that the whole system is flawed from the beginning. We need to understand customers deeply and we need to have a point and we need to just like understand where they spend their time, et cetera. Then what's our point of view? What's our strategy? Then how are we going to create content? What content are we going to create? What topics? Why? Then how are we going to distribute? And so if you think about that, I think that there are gaps everywhere. I think that companies don't talk to customers, so they have a poor, they just take a regular, they take some like buyer journey filled with assumptions and like, oh, we'll just create content around this stuff that maps back to our value proposition, not what people actually care about. Don't listen to customers. Don't take a point of view, right? Like I mentioned, like nobody was, would, is prepared to take the point of view that I have because a company wouldn't go out and do that. It would piss off too many people. Like in order to create a category and have a narrative, you're going to have to alienate some people, some people that don't believe in that stuff that are old school, whatever. So having a point of view and thinking about strategy, the content, because they don't have the right customer research and knowledge and insights, they don't create content that people want and then they suck at distributing. And so I, when I look at it, I actually think a majority of the system is, is flawed. Yeah, Dis- and, distribution and is he, the one that's most, it's like distribution is the tip of the iceberg that you can see, right? All the stuff underneath the water is what I talked about. Yeah, and the, even going deeper into that subject, it's like how buyers are actually buying mm-hmm. with like, like, oh, I have to go submit a demo form and then I have to go speak to someone who knows nothing about the product and then I have to go speak to an AE. He won't give me price until I sit on a, a, a full demo and then it's like, I don't even want this product anymore. Like the right now... I can go on Amazon, purchase the thing I want, and it's just shipped to me. Like, if you think of that mindset, that wasn't the mindset like 10 years ago because people didn't know how to do e-commerce. That's why the e-commerce mindset just mm-hmm. like sticks to me all the time. It's like, it's so easy to buy. And like Jeff Bezos said things like everybody like said something about like how, like think of things that aren't going to change. Like people want cheaper prices and people Convenience. want- Convenience. Faster shipping, like those are not going to change. Like, mm-hmm. and things like we like 
people want convenient buying and information easier and everything mm-hmm. easier and we're b2b is making things harder yeah and i'm not saying that every single SaaS company needs to go out and have a touchless product-led offering right what i'm saying is that the sales process that's been created has been created for company efficiency not buyer experience and it creates a disjointed unpleasant experience for a buyer and you it it makes business sense to fix this you literally lose a bunch of deals because of the way that you're doing it and so um yeah i just want to give you the floor for like a minute to just say where people can find you and everything like that cool yeah everyone as you can as you can tell from the beginning of this episode we spend most of our time marketing for both our company and the brands that we work for in dark social and so you can find you can find uh me on linkedin chris walker you can check out our podcast the state of demand gen podcast on apple or spotify or other content platforms and uh if you got any questions you can shoot them to me in linkedin dm and we will answer them on a future show cool thank you for being on the show super insightful and always cool to catch up yeah man awesome to catch up with you i love our interviews you always give me like I don't know the questions you ask or, or from your your perspective or whatever gets like gets me going so i appreciate you thank you thank you i'll talk to you later talk to you soon hey everyone thanks for checking out this episode of the state of demand gen podcast you know it's crazy to think that now more than fifteen thousand demand marketers sales reps product marketers field marketers cmos and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.